0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.
1: Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video
2: again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.
3: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about discussing discoveries and gruesome gunmen. I'm your host for the evening, Otis Jari, and I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly-lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Kyle Harrison and Corpse Child are voice talents Danielle Hewitt, Nick Goroff, Paul J. McSorley, and Melissa Exelberth. Now get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds embrace brace yourselves. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Corpse Child and is performed by Danielle Hewitt and Nick Goron. A woman recounts a hostage encounter with an ominous and possibly supernatural gunman that reveals an awesome and terrifying truth. And without further ado, I present to you, Hostages of Fear.
4: My body trembled. I didn't see the flashes of the barrel, nor the two bodies that instantly hit the floor. I only heard them drop with a resounding thud, just before the exit. That made four dead now, all shot at point-blank range. I slowly looked up from the ground, being met with one of their agonized faces. It was still frozen in an expression of fright as he twitched and writhed. I'd heard them, too, screaming and crying out right before he shot them. Beside me was the teller who'd been making my Charles, now shaking much more violently than I was, and I can hear her sobbing. I remember she was the first to see him. She was the first to scream when he drew his gun. That was when he opened fire, shooting the first two. I'm sure the first was meant for her, but she ducked down just before he got the shot, causing the bullet to hit the man behind her. Then I dropped down, and the man opened fire again at the other man, who let out a choked scream. That's when the two others ran for the exit, only to be stopped by bullets to the back. For a moment, everything was quiet, save for the sounds of the man's footsteps strolling up and down the front area like a prison warden. The silence was broken when I heard a woman shouting. Please don't do this, I have a... I looked up to see him hunched over the body of another teller. She was still alive, writhing and convulsing. Eventually, her body relaxed, and she was still, lifeless. He then turned in the direction of me and my teller. His face was calm. It wasn't crazed or angry or even afraid, he was smiling. Not like a maniac, but like how your friend would at you. He appeared calm and gentle, and almost warm and inviting in a way. This only terrified me more. I didn't know what to expect here, but I was afraid to move or scream, seeing what happened with the others.
2: It's okay.
4: He announced in the same gentle tone that matched the look on his face.
2: Don't be afraid. I've come to save you.
4: He started in my direction, still smiling. I slowly put my hands up and took a deep breath. Keep calm, I said to myself. He was about a foot or two away when he stopped and raised his gun. I was about to duck back down when I noticed that the gun wasn't pointed at me. That's when the teller shrieked, and I saw the barrel flash as the shot rang out. Wait! I exclaimed, positioning myself directly in front of the barrel. Despite the adrenaline pushing me at that moment, I stood still. The bullet missed the teller's head by a half inch, and she was frantically scrambling away on her hands and knees while he was cocking his gun for another shot. He cocked his head to the side, and his smile dropped a little looking more like he was pondering something he found interesting.
2: Look, let's talk, okay? Just you and me.
4: His warm smile returned and he chuckled amusedly.
2: (laughs) What's your name, child?
4: He asked, sounding gentle and welcoming. I'm Violet. He chuckled again.
2: (laughs) It's a very pretty name for a very pretty girl.
4: He lowered the gun, and I took baby steps toward him. What's your name? I asked, slowly inching my way toward him. I figured as long as I kept him talking, he'd keep his guard down, and I'd be able to make it to him without getting shot. What I was gonna do once I did, though, I wasn't sure yet. I had to just act in the moment and hope for the best. Luckily for me, he wasn't a big guy. Actually... He was extremely gaunt, and his skin was almost deathly pale. He looked sick. I thought this might at least give me a slim hope of disarming him or something once I reached him, despite knowing nothing of fighting or any real big self-defense tactics at the time. Just a swift kick to his... Gabriel. He said softly.
2: My name is Gabriel, and I've come to save you all.
4: I inched closer to him. Save us from what? I was about two feet away from him now. He looked up at the ceiling. I took a few more steps, readying to either kick him in the groin or move out of the way again. When I stopped, he looked back at me and raised his gun. Before reacting, I saw him turn and shoot the teller off to my right. I looked to see that the bullet had hit her straight in the midsection of her back.
2: I've come to save you from
4: that. He declared, pointing the gun back at me. The teller's body was still twitching. I was about to rush to her when he again, aimed the gun at me. Look, she's still alive. I cried. You have to let me help her. He looked over at her and said,
2: No child, she's not alive. She's not been alive for a long time now. None of them have.
4: He looked around at the bodies of the others sprawled across the floor.
2: But they're free now. Free?
4: I wondered, what the hell does he mean by... Panic shot through me. When I saw him then turn the gun in the direction of a woman who was huddling her little boy close to her chest, he walked closer to them. I heard the woman choke out a squeal as she hugged the child closer to her body. When he reached them, he knelt down and reached out toward the little boy's face, attempting to stroke his cheek. When the child turned and burrowed his face into his mother's chest, Gabriel stood up again and sighed. His face was saddened, like the child's reaction had somehow hurt him on some emotional level. Still wearing this expression, he cocked his gun again and aimed it toward them.
2: Not even the young are spared.
4: This time, I rushed him. I'd already let the teller and the others die. I wasn't about to just stand and watch him execute a child. I threw my shoulder into him, causing him to stumble to the left and causing him to pull the trigger. It missed the mother, and she used the opportunity to try and make a break for it. Gabriel was about to aim at them again when I threw myself at him again and began attempting to wrestle the gun from him. Despite what I had said earlier about him not being a big guy, his grip was like a bear trap on that gun. His face was still so calm and gentle as I struggled with him. He looked like it wasn't even a struggle for him to hold on to the gun. Finally, I scratched at his face, sending a fierce swipe across his right eye that caused him to actually retract in pain. This caused him to drop the gun, and I quickly broke away from him. I quickly made a break and grabbed the gun. Hands in the air! I said, now pointing the gun at him. He looked back at me, smiling warmly, his hands motionless by his sides. I said, hands up now! Do it, child. He said walking toward me.
2: Do it. Have no fear, child.
4: He continued towards me slowly. Admittedly, my hand shook as I held the gun. My finger wrapped around the trigger, and I began to squeeze. I couldn't seem to go through with it. My mind was screaming at me to pull the fucking trigger, but I froze. I looked into his eyes, his friendly, welcoming eyes. These weren't the eyes of a monster, but they didn't seem entirely human either. I can't really explain it, but something about his smile emanated more of a peaceful quality. Like he was about to lead me to the gates of heavens or something.
2: Why do you hesitate?"
4: he asked, now just an inch away from the barrel.
2: Are you afraid too, child?
4: No. I stammered.
2: Then do it. Shoot me. Prove that fear has not corrupted
4: you. What? I was lost. What in the name of God in heaven is he talking about? What does he mean by corrupt me? My hands, as well as my body, shook more and more violently now, yet my fingers remained frozen.
2: Prove to me that you were strong. That you aren't
4: afraid. He was cut off, when the gun fired out of what must have been an accidental reflex. I closed my eyes in shock. The shot resonated all through the walls. Oh my god. I did it. I killed him. Opening my eyes, I saw that he was still standing. He was leaning back, having been pushed back by the force of the shot, but he still stood. That's when I noticed that he wasn't bleeding from the hole centered directly in the middle of his chest. How in the hell? For half a minute or so, his body remained frozen in that pose before twitching violently. It wasn't like the convulsions one would experience during cardiac arrest, or anything like you'd expect from someone who'd been shot. Instead. His seizures appeared to speed up until they convulsed at almost a supersonic level. That's when his head, still seizing, snapped up and looked dead at me. His eyes were two burning white orbs that each glowed like tiny suns in his sockets. He sounded snake-like, being mostly raspy and sounding like what most people would think a ghost would sound like. His mouth opened and I heard him start speaking in these indistinct whispers. Then from inside of his mouth, I saw the same bright glowing coming from his mouth. My eyes started to burn and I had to turn away.
2: Be not afraid, my child.
4: His voice boomed in my ears. I slowly opened my eyes to find that everything was gray. What I mean is that the room looked the same, as did the lobby area of the bank. Except for now, the color was gone. Everything was just a blank outline of what the room was before. When I turned around, Gabriel's body was completely different. He didn't look like a lanky five-seven-and-a-half-tall man with a warm smile anymore. He didn't even look like a freaking person. Instead, there was a blazing aura in the general shape of a man standing in front of me, with long, wispy tendrils of light coiling from his back. My heart stopped. My jaw dropped. But I couldn't make a sound. The thing that was Gabriel moved towards me gliding weightlessly through the air. I raised the gun again, acting out of a dormant instinct. I sent three more rounds into its chest, but it continued toward me, unaffected.
2: Lower your weapon, child.
4: The voice boomed.
2: You have proven yourself to me.
4: Proven myself? I stammered, now finding the strength to speak. What the hell? Who... what are you? My mind and heart were racing, completely overclocked with what was happening.
2: I told you. I am Gabriel. I am the one that was sent to save you all.
4: Save me? From what?
2: From fear. Fear is what keeps you as a slave.
4: I didn't know what to say or do next. I wanted to empty the rest of the magazine into him. But at the same time aside from the already established fact that apparently Glock rounds do not affect him. I wanted answers.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot You can
5: live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to
4: get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today.
5: You can do this when you Angie that.
4: What are you talking about? A slave to what? He raised one of his arms and pointed to the ceiling. From above, I could see what looked like thousands of thin white strands coming down from a small white oval shape that circled overhead. What the hell is... That, he bellowed, cutting me off,
2: is your maker. Your oppressor. God the greatest puppet master of all. He keeps you alive only to be bound to an existence of fear. He uses fear to keep you all in line.
4: What are these? I asked, looking at the strands.
2: You are his puppets, and those are your strings. Your fear doesn't allow you to see them. He forces you to be this way. That's why I'm here. I have come to set you all free.
4: Setting us free? I cried. You murdered them! Innocent fucking people! How the fuck is that setting us free?
2: I told you. They were never alive, but they can be now, forever free from his bonds.
4: Look at them! My head started aching. What did he mean by they were never alive? How could they be alive now? He passed his other arm around the room. I looked around to see the bodies of the others sprawled across the floor. All of them still twitching violently. They, like the rest of the lobby, were now colorless. Then I watched the body of one of the first men who was shot, cry out as a white mist seemed to be forced from him. The mist flew straight up into the oval after being ejected from the man's body. This exorcism-like process repeated with one of the others. What's happening to them? The rest then joined in the strange phenomenon.
2: They are free now,
5: he
4: replied. What is that white cloud? What even are you? Hell, where are we? I couldn't hold myself back from essentially letting everything out. Confusion, anger, frustration, and panic. All of these, at once.
2: Calm down, child.
4: He said in that calm, friendly, yet still thunderous voice.
2: What you are seeing is the truth. This is what the world truly looks like.
4: This? I scoffed. This is the world? It's just a gray space of nothing. How is this what the world looks like? He moved closer to me again.
2: Fear, Violet, causes the man to be blind to its beauty. Man has always been born with an instinctual fear of what he does not know, which is not understood. Because of this, man is kept blind to the unknown. And when someone wields this blindness as a weapon, as he does,
4: He pointed up again.
2: Man cannot ever see the beauty of the truth.
4: I looked up at the white oval again. Why? What does he want?
2: Control. He only strives for control. That is why and how he's kept you blind to the unknown. He himself fears those like me and you and the others now. Those whose eyes have been opened to the potential of the unknown. He feared that man would be on an equal footing with him, so he's kept you all bound by fear. Hostages to your fear, essentially.
4: I was stunned. From the oval above, I watched as the white oval expanded. Inside were two gigantic ivory-white hands. Attached to what I can only describe as a mass of large eyeballs. Each with different color irises and veins that glowed bright red with rage. What's happening now? I cried, watching in amazement and terror as the oval opened, now fully exposing what was on the other side.
2: He sees what I've done.
4: Gabriel replied.
2: He sees that they've been freed, and he is
4: raged. I could feel the ground shift beneath me. What is he doing?
2: He's attempting to swallow you. He wants to bring you back into his domain where he'll then rebind you. What do I do? Fear is the source of his control. You still fear him. You still fear the unknown despite now seeing the truth. Let go of your fear, Violet. Embrace the unknown.
4: How? My arms felt like spaghetti, and I could feel my knees buckling from beneath me. The oval expanded, taking in more and more of the lobby. I was hopelessly lost. How do I make this stop? How am I supposed to fight my fear? How do I embrace the unknown? I watched as the bodies of the others then rose, all of them adopting a special form like Gabriel. I saw that the white oval's expansion seemed to be interrupted by this.
2: Fear is the source of his power.
4: Gabriel's words begin to resonate in my head. They weren't afraid anymore.
2: You see now, Violet. they are no longer afraid. They have seen now that death is nothing to be afraid of. They have conquered their greatest fear and thus he no longer holds this power over them. You must conquer yours.
4: I wanted to ask him how I was supposed to do this when it hit me. I understood it all now. I looked again at the others. They had been afraid to die when Gabriel began shooting. But as they were dying, they must have somehow seen what I'd seen. The unknown. It was like Gabriel was saying. They could see the strings like I did, and realized that by accepting death, they would become something more than human. They'd be free. The oval was regaining momentum again, swallowing almost half the lobby. The being within started to reach out to grab me. I knew there was only one way now to put an end to all of this, to free myself like Gabriel and the others. I took a deep breath, stared straight into the thing's many eyes, and said, I am not afraid of you. Just before the hand could seize me, I turned the gun to my stomach and fired. Instantly, the gun fell from my hands and I fell to the ground, writhing and seizing as the others did. As I lay there, my body began to feel hot, and with a scream, I watched the white mist force its way from my mouth and flow into the white oval. This caused the being to let out an earth-shaking bellow that sounded like a mix of thousands of people screaming, before finally retracting inside the oval. I then felt numb, as my body began to glow a burning orange aura could see everything. Everything appeared to me now as a mix of every color imaginable. And they were constantly shifting, changing, and blending from one color to the next. Everything was alive. And it was all beautiful. The white oval shrank until it finally closed. Before it did, I met gaze with the being, with God, one last time. For that split second i swear that i could see it in his eyes when he looked at me fear once the white oval was gone that's when things went dark when i finally came i was back in the lobby surrounded by police i looked around to see that everyone was alive i saw the mother that had run away earlier though now she looked different her body and her son's body now seemed covered by the white mist Their fear still bound them. I could see it now as Gabriel did. The same was true for the police officers, who were in the process of arresting Gabriel. As they led him away, he turned to us and smiled his friendly smile one last time. Later, I and the others were being carried out of the bank on stretchers by paramedics. I could move my legs just fine. I told them I couldn't feel any pain from the bullet in my stomach, which was true. I remember the look of shock they had when I was able to stand and pick myself up from the stretcher. The next thing I remembered was being asked a thousand questions about what happened. How, despite all being shot, all of us were still alive and healthy. Not knowing what else to say, I told them the truth. Or at least what I understood the truth to be. I knew he wouldn't understand it. How could he? Or anybody else for that matter? They're still bound by fear. Eventually, they let me go, realizing that I couldn't provide an explanation they'd understand. The incident was kept out of the news in the paper, cropping up only occasionally on social media with the headlines of mass shooting in bank with unexplainable occurrence. I'd like to think there are others who've conquered the hold of fear like me, Gabriel and the others, speaking out the truth. That's why I'm writing this. I'm spreading the message, the truth, just as Gabriel did. Human beings are something far more than what we've known. We are something better. Something elevated and beautiful that isn't meant to be contained or controlled. I know this now, and it knows. And because of this, it's afraid. So I beg you, whatever you're afraid of. death loneliness whatever let go whatever it takes free yourself from fear your fear is the source of his power only you can take that from him after all the most horrifying thing to me even now is the idea of forever being a slave a hostage to fear itself
3: I hope you enjoyed Hostages of Fear, as written by Corpse Child and voiced by Danielle Hewitt and Nick Goroff. You can find out more from author Corpse Child right here on our very own network. If you enjoyed Danielle's performance, you can hear more of her on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, where she holds the third-place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of her work on the Wicked Library and Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. This horror powerhouse also has a terrifying and tawdry podcast of her in the works. We can't wait to tell you more about it later on. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel Wizard of Cause. Our second tale of the evening is written by Kyle Harrison and performed by Paul J. McSorley and Melissa Exelberth. Everyone knows that renovations are part of the territory when it comes to maintaining a home. Almost every problem is fixable, until it isn't. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Check the Closet.
1: We have a nightly routine at our house that begins around 8.30 or so, starting with putting our son Hunter to bed. We take turns laying him down and reading a story. He's just turned 7, but it's still difficult for him to sleep by himself, so one of us will lay with him until he falls to sleep. And then once we hear those soft little snores, we sneak out for some alone time with each other. In our bedroom, we watch a little TV, eat a few snacks, and just chill, unwinding until we are ready for bed. Sometimes Abby has a harder time to go to sleep, so she will pick a nature documentary or something soothing while I read a book. Then, just before it's time to sleep, she will ask me to go and check to make sure the doors are locked and the window in our bathroom is closed as well. I start with the back door, jiggling it, and confirm it's locked, then move to the front and do the same. At the bathroom, I usually take a small tinkle and then check the window, turning off all the lights as I go. Our room is last and our dog Truffles sleeps under the bed so I tell her to get to her house and she obeys without even so much as a bark. Last but not least is the closet which is right in front of our bed on the right side of the room. It's a large walk-in closet with two sliding doors to get inside it and I always slide it open, peek inside, and confirm that it's clear before climbing into bed. I give Abby a quick kiss and we fall asleep together. It's been this way ever since the incident. The scars can't fade because we remember everything so vividly. Five months ago, right after we moved in, We had our place broken into. We weren't home at the time, but when we got back and saw the door was wide open, Abby had a panic attack. I called the police and we waited outside in our car while two officers came by and made sure the house was clear. After they left, Abby and I were told to check and see if anything was stolen. The house looked the same, but it felt so unsettling to realize that an intruder had been here only moments before. I couldn't think straight and the room itself constantly felt like it was spinning. Everything that was once safe now felt violated. I looked for anything out of place, any stolen jewelry or electronics. But there was nothing I could really identify and I got the feeling that since there was no one to arrest, the police were gradually growing impatient. They gave me a way to file a report in case I did find something and then left Abby and I there to pick up the pieces to this shattered sense of security. I went inside and tried to remain calm, heading to our room to relax. Truffles was near the closet, wagging his little tail and being curious. Abby was the one that opened the closet door and then screamed at the top of her lungs. I snapped to attention and saw a man standing there in the closet holding a gun to my wife's head. Truffles began to bark and the man immediately kicked him away, forcing me to grab the dog and try my best to remain calm as the situation immediately intensified. He was maybe in his late 20s with dark smudges under his eyes and enough anger to tell me not to make any sudden moves. I held my hands up defensively as he slowly got out of the closet, keeping Abby close to him as a hostage. Truffles kept barking as his eyes darted and he snapped, ''Shut up!'' Then toward me, ''Are those fucking cops gone?'' I was doing my best to not panic. It wasn't working though. ''Yes, yes they are gone!'' Please, just take whatever you want and leave, I begged. I could see terror flashing across Abby's face as she remained paralyzed and the intruder carefully guided her toward the front of our home. All I could think about was making sure she was safe. Then from behind me, I heard a soft whine. Hunter had gotten out of bed, hearing the commotion. What's going on, Daddy? He mumbled, looking toward the man that held his mother at gunpoint. I truly have no idea if his young mind understood the implication, but I kept him shielded behind me as I focused on the gunman. "'You tell anyone what I look like, I will come back and blow all your brains out,' the man warned, pointing the weapon toward Hunter. Then he dashed out the front door. Abby collapsed into my arms, shaking. Hunter was confused and crying. We hardly slept that night, but we did it all together in our king-size bed. We were shaken up, and I kept playing the scene over and over. So close to death, it was the most frightening feeling in the world. Ever since then, I've performed that nightly ritual to check the house before we go to bed. Sleep hasn't been peaceful, it's been just a case of exhaustion flooding us and taking over. I've wanted to buy a home security system, or a handgun, or a large guard dog, but none of those were actually options. The landlord wouldn't allow any dog over 20 pounds inside, plus we already had truffles. I didn't want to rehome. home The home security system was too expensive for our monthly budget and Abby was too frightened of our son finding a weapon if we did buy one. It made me feel powerless in a place that should have been my stronghold. Instead, we tried to just resume a normal life and push the incident behind us. It hasn't been so easy. All of us had scars though. And nightmares. I've been trying to keep it together for the two of them, trying to show that I can be strong. And then, it got worse one night. I had just let truffles out for her nightly ritual on the grass when Abby reminded me to check the doors. It's become something of an obsession for her, justifiably given what happened. So, even when I check two or three times, I always do it once more if she needs that reassurance. Our room was last. Just like always, I moved to the closet door and slid it to the side. That was when I saw this thing squirming and moving in the shadows. I jumped back in surprise, causing Abby to shiver and softly scream.
5: What is it, Jack?
1: She whispered as she tried her best to press her body against the wall. I knew she couldn't see it from where she was at, and I was at a loss for words, so I slowly backed away to the dresser, grabbing my smartphone to get a better look. Turning on the flashlight, I illuminated the walk-in closet to get a better look at the thing. It was about the size of a bowling ball, clutching to the left wall and covered in strange, green, goopy spores. The entire thing reminded me of what you might see under a microscope, a breathing bacteria that was stuck to our closet wall. "'You're going to have to take a look at this,' I told my wife. But she refused. Abby remained motionless, insisting I take a picture instead. Nervously, I got a little closer, and I did as she asked, passing my phone to her. My wife looked at it and seemed confused.
5: "'Is this some kind of joke?'
1: "'What?' I asked, turning to her.
5: "'There's nothing here. Jesus, Jack, you scared me to death!'
1: She said, tossing the phone on the bed. I closed the closet door and scooped the phone up, confused that I could see the spore, but she didn't. It's right there. It's like some kind of mold or something, I told her.
5: I don't know what you're talking about,
1: Abby said. Get up and go to the closet and see for yourself, I told her. You're just trying to scare me, she mumbled. I'm right here. Nothing bad is going to happen. I insisted as I yanked her arm. Abby reluctantly agreed, scooting toward the door and slipping it open.
5: What am I supposed to be looking at?
1: She asked. I used the phone to let her see. But this time, when the light flickered in the corner, the strange green ball of gunk was gone. Had it moved? It hadn't seemed alive earlier. It was right there, I swear, I told her.
5: Jack, please, I'm not in the mood for your pranks, this shit still terrifies me."
1: She snapped. She climbed back into bed and I slid the closet door closed, confused by what I had seen. I laid there in bed, apologizing to Abby as I stared at the closet door and waited until I heard her softly snoring. Then I got up and moved to the closet again, slipping it open to see if I was just seeing things or not. When I got the light, the gunk had returned. It seemed a little larger now, and it was dripping some kind of acidic mess onto the closet floor below. Was it oozing pus? I held my nose as I realized that it also smelled rotten and then glanced back at Abby. Why couldn't she see it? What the hell was this thing? I took a few pictures and slid the door closed. Then I went to the kitchen and grabbed one of our dining chairs. Placing it against the closet made me feel a little safer. Sleep evaded me again until my eyes got too heavy to watch the closet door. And in the morning, Abby was pestering me about the chair as she moved to open the closet.
5: This prank is bizarre,
1: she said as she slid the door to the left. Then she screamed. I jumped up and grabbed her, popping my head into the closet, but I didn't see a thing. What did you see? I asked her.
5: I don't know. Fuck, I hate when I have such vivid hallucinations. Jack, I can't handle this,"
1: she said as she began to sob. I didn't tell her that I was sure whatever she had seen was real. I would need to wait and figure this out alone and be the strong one for us. I didn't want her to have another episode. We couldn't afford both of us to lose our sanity. This was my burden and mine alone. The next night, I waited until Abby was asleep and decided to check the closet. During the routine check there had been nothing there, but I had sensed a presence of some kind. This thing, whatever it is, must be able to hide itself from us whenever it needs to. Could it sense our emotions or our thoughts? Was it feeding off our distress? I needed answers. I quietly climbed out of bed and slid the door open again, unsurprised to find the bulbous mass of toxic goop vibrating there in the closet. It had gotten bigger i tried to recall how small it had started and estimated it was now at least three times the size of the original mass what was making it grow and what purpose was it here for it felt dangerous i was certain of that yet i wanted to reach out touch it and learn more about it and why it was here i slowly raised my right palm and moved my hand towards the glowing bacterial life form I could feel this warm yet irritating sense of heat forming right under my hand. Still I took a risk and touched the thing. My skin immediately started to prickle with pain and I let out a scream. Abby jolted from bed as I jolted backward, slamming my hand in the door as I forcibly slid it shut. My screams grew louder as I looked down at where I had touched the thing. My skin had peeled off, singed with scars, and eaten away at the muscle as I rushed to the bathroom. Abby got out of bed, flicking on the light, trying to figure out what was wrong as I doused cold water on my hand. Give me a bag of ice. Hurry! I begged her as I felt the pain radiate up my arm. Every nerve in my body was beginning to go numb as my hand shook and the water cooled down the burn.
5: What the hell has gotten into you? Abby
1: asked as she grabbed my arm and pulled it out of the water. She stared down at my palm and I did too, shocked and confused to see there was no longer any damage there. Still, I could feel the residual effects of touching the plant as my hand trembled and she gave me a baffled look.
5: You're acting like something bit your hand off. What is wrong?
1: She asked. Behind her, I heard Hunter whine and I fumbled to find words pointing toward the closet.
5: Are you still going on about that? Are you having some kind of psychotic break? There's nothing in there.
1: Abby said as she scooped Hunter up and shushed him, rocking him slowly. I know that I saw it. I felt it, Abby. It nearly destroyed my hand. I told her, trying to understand what had just happened. Was, was Daddy talking about, is there a bad man again? Hunter asked softly. Even Truffles was up, wagging anxiously and looking at me with bewilderment.
5: See what you've done? Now you've gone and scared him, too.
1: My wife said as she squeezed Hunter a little tighter.
5: It's fine, sweetie. Daddy is just being silly. There's nothing there. You're safe.
1: She said, giving me the evil eye.
5: Can I sleep with you?
1: Hunter whispered. She nodded and took him to his room, glaring at me and saying,
5: I don't know what you think you're doing, but you need to pull it together, Jack.
1: Then she closed his bedroom door in my face. I looked toward the closet in our own room, now seemingly empty, and then toward truffles. The dog seemed worried about me as well. I climbed into bed, still trembling from the pain as I looked at the closet. I could not see the organism, but I felt it, and I could hear it breathing, just so gently beneath the gentle hum of the air conditioner. Maybe I am losing my mind, I thought with a shudder. Or maybe this strange life form has come to tear us all apart.
5: We need to talk about last night.
1: Abby announced right after she put Hunter down for a nap. Most of the day we haven't spoken about the incident. It's been festering between us and I could tell she was upset by my behavior. I know you don't believe me, but I know there is something there and it's hurting us. I'm not sure why, I told her. Abby gave me a look that made me feel six inches tall.
5: Jack, this isn't working. You're losing it, and now Hunter and I are scared. Not of any intruders, but of you. Do you realize the hallucinations you're seeing could wind up hurting us?
1: She shot back. I'm trying to protect you.
5: What would you know about that?
1: Abby snapped. That cut me to my very core, and I realized what she really felt. This isn't about what you think I've been seeing. It's about what happened that night, I told her.
5: Jack, I don't want to talk about that. Don't twist this around and make it something that it isn't.
1: You blame me, don't you? Because I couldn't do anything to save you. Is that why you keep looking at me like I'm subhuman? I shouted at her.
5: If you want the truth, yes. You were a coward that night. Just like what is happening right now. You're seeing things that aren't there.
1: I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but instead of continuing the conversation, I reminded her it was time for her to get to work. It was clear the animosity we felt toward each other wasn't going to be resolved easily. When she left, I went to the closet and slammed the door open. Once again, there was nothing there for me to be scared of. I focused on the images of that night that clouded my brain. Perhaps if I confronted the feelings I have let fester from the incident, this could help me, I realized. Maybe Abby was right and the reality was the only toxic creature around here was me and my shattered mind. I couldn't be strong like I needed to be. I went to the medicine cabinet in the bathroom and took a few pills for sleep to rest alongside Hunter. I told myself I would make things right the next day but reality shattered again for me less than half an hour later. Hunter's wails filled the dead air as I woke in a cold sweat. Immediately, I knew what was wrong and I ran toward our room. I had left the closet door open. Hunter, being just curious to wander inside like any toddler would, had approached the strange organism that had returned. As I used my phone to shine a light on him, I saw that half of his arm was stuck inside the green mass, and my poor son was screaming his head off trying to get it back. Okay, okay, calm down. Daddy is here. Don't move, I said, trying my best to sound like the confident parent that he needed. My first instinct was to call Abby, but then I second-guessed myself. She had already called me insane for even believing this thing existed, and I had nearly believed her now i was paying the price by seeing my little boy suffer and cry the thing was taking a strange form to itself rather than just being misshapen and bulbous the contours and strange markings on its skin looked almost like facial features altogether i counted at least four of these growing masses that had sprouted from the main body the entire thing dripping more burning acid on the floor as it latched onto hunter it was not going to let him go easily "'I have to get something to cut you out. Don't move, okay?' I told him. Hunter whimpered and nodded as I rushed to the kitchen. I heard our dog trot behind me, barking softly and wagging its tail. "'Now, now, girl. Hunter needs our help,' I told the little dog as I grabbed a sharp knife and some pliers. It wasn't much, but I hoped it would get the job done. Running back to the closet, I squeezed myself into the area alongside Hunter and hugged his body. "'Listen,' This is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to get that thing off of you, okay, bud? I reassured him. Please hurry, Dad. It hurts so bad, he whined. I felt so sorry for him, stuck there being fed to the thing like he was just a piece of meat. I had to help him in any way I could. Pushing as close to the toxic bacteria as I could, I pressed the pliers right against his skin and Hunter began to cry again. I know, I know it hurts. I told him as I got the knife and started to prod at the plant, trying to determine how easily it could be cut. Each incision I made, ooze, melted out onto Hunter, burning his skin much like mine, but I was making progress. I continued to cut, ignoring his pleas as I jabbed at the organism, angry that it was harming him so much. Outside the closet I heard truffles bark louder and louder and I wondered if the little dog could see the alien life form too. After five excruciating minutes of Hunter's tears and cries, his hand was free. He wobbled out of the closet and collapsed onto the floor, sobbing pitifully as I jabbed the knife into the plant again one more time. I had no idea if I could cause this strange organism any pain or not, but it felt good to try. I cradled Hunter near to me as I slid the glass door halfway closed and looked at his hand. Bits of the goop that I guessed was this creature's blood was bubbling against his ripped skin, most of which was already eaten away. Digging into his flesh and infecting him, I guessed, as I shuddered and pulled out my phone. I needed to call 911. I didn't give a damn if Abby thought this was insane. Holding Hunter next to me, I moved out of the bedroom and waited for the phone operator to answer. When they picked up, I gave them my address and told them my son had burned his hand on the stove. It seemed like the best explanation. The hospital would surely give a full exam when we got there. They arrived in five minutes and I hurried Hunter to the back where paramedics immediately began to check him out. Can I ride with you? I asked them. They nodded and I finally texted Abby as we rode toward the nearest ER. Hunter was in so much shock that he had stopped crying. I took over for him, trying my best to hold back tears as I saw him clutch his hand. One paramedic said they had never seen such a bad burn. I was quiet, too disturbed to talk as I realized that if I had just tried to get rid of the damn organism earlier, maybe this wouldn't have happened. I wondered as we got to the ER how Abby was going to handle all of this. Somehow I knew. She would use me as her punching bag and I mentally prepared for that. An hour later when Hunter was back with the doctors and given some good medicine. She arrived with the most judgmental look on her face.
5: I knew you were going insane, but I thought that you could handle this. I leave for only a few hours and now our son has life-threatening burns? I seriously hope you didn't forget to turn the burner off or the whole house will be on fire. She
1: shouted loud enough for the entire hospital to hear. Please, lower your voice. You don't understand what happened, I stammered. I wasn't sure if she would even believe me. I hardly believed it had happened. This thing was destroying our lives, driving that wedge further between us.
5: We'll discuss this when we get home,
1: she said, rushing into the room to be with our son. But that conversation never happened. Another horrible scene awaited us when we got home. Our door, wide open, caused Abby to begin to hyperventilate.
5: Jack, you swore. You promised this would never happen again.
1: She said as she struggled to breathe. Despite all the issues we were going through in our relationship, I didn't feel petty. Instead, I told her I would go in first and check the house. My first instinct was to check the closet where intruders had hidden before. Except this time, I knew what to expect. The growth was engulfing the entire left side of the closet wall, growing strange tentacles and rooting itself into the floor. It had seven heads now, all of which resembled misshapen skulls of different varieties and it smelled worse than any decaying animal. It was thrumming louder than it ever had, consuming everything and destroying our lives. I looked down and saw the wet collar of our beloved dog, realizing the organism had eaten it and spat out the bones and unwanted metal. I pushed the collar away and returned to the living room announcing to Abby that her dog had run off. We didn't talk for the rest of the afternoon. She was on her phone and comforting Hunter about the dog while I stared at the organism that only I could see. Every gentle breath it took was a taunt against me. My family was barely hanging together by a thread and this thing was determined to destroy us all. I told myself that I needed to finish what I had started when I saved Hunter. I needed to kill the damn thing. Abby fell asleep on the couch, refusing to share a room with me again as I studied the gigantic ball of snot. It was pushing itself out of the closet now, no longer hidden by the darkness. I could see just how ugly and putrid it was in the light. Engorged veins pulsing with black blood and poison covered every inch of its thick green and grey skin and every pore and surface was constantly eroding our home, eroding our very lives. I took the long carving knife and began to jab away at the creatures, staring with the misshapen spores that looked like skulls. Each time, noxious fumes pushed onto my face, burning my eyes. But I didn't stop. I needed this thing to die, to be free. The goop and blood spilled out everywhere on the floor, Hitting my skin with its acidic fluid and trying to protect itself. I kept chopping, slicing at its limbs and hearing the creature squeal. It was just what I needed to keep going. The screams were so loud they filled the whole house. I was not going to stop until I was sure it was dead. Then another scream pierced my ears. It was Abby. She grabbed me from behind and made me stop as she twisted my wrist, the knife falling to the floor.
5: Jack, Jack, stop,
1: she said as she pulled me away. My eyes were covered in acid and I couldn't understand why she was wailing so loud as she pushed past me and jammed the door open. The glass collapsed forward and as it shattered, I saw. My son Hunter, lying in a pool of his own blood, hundreds of stab wounds all over his body his cries mimicking the creature I had heard. Abby looked up at me with hate.
5: You fucking bastard! Look what you've done! Get away from us! Just get away!
1: She shrieked. She grabbed Hunter and ran toward the door, pushing me into the pool of shattered glass. Each prick was sharper than a needle, the broken edges stabbing me in the same way I had my son. I heard them drive off and I lay there in hunter's blood as I felt tears pour out of my bruised eyes. Then I heard the low guttural breathing of the plant. I saw it move amid the shadows and begin to swallow my own body. This time, I didn't fight it. My family was gone, and even if they did survive, I had lost them. The abomination had won. It was time for surrender.
3: I hope you enjoyed Check the Closet as written by Kyle Harrison and performed by Paul J. McSorley and Melissa Exelberth. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. If you've never heard of Mr. Harrison, well, then you're probably new to the program. He has a voluminous collection, just waiting for you to enjoy it on Reddit, and beyond that, be sure to check out his entry in The Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Anthology, Volume 1, out now on Amazon. Voice actor Paul J. McSorley's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also keep up with him weekly on his show, Fear from the Heartland, which debuted its third season recently. Capture the magic or the madness (laughs) from the very beginning and check out his show today. You'll be glad that you did. And after drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Voice actress Melissa Exelberth's vocal talents can also be found right here on our very own YouTube channel as well as her own website, MelissaExelberth.com. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to drop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron on our website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com, to show your support, get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and as always, it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark
2: Nights